Well, good morning. Is it normally this dark? I can't see nobody's face. Let there be light. Um, yeah, just a little bit. All right, good to see you all. I started to say good to see you all, but I couldn't see you all. So uh, uh, no flattery here. I absolutely love our downtown campus. Uh, today was a first. Uh, today was the first, um, you know, I drove up and I saw the marquee and it didn't say downtown Durham. It said Corinne Bailey Ray is coming. And I'd never been to a church before where I said, I think I want to get tickets to that. Uh, so this was definitely a first. Um, as you're making your way to James chapter 5, let me also say this. I flew out to, uh, uh, I, had, I had the funnest airplane ride in my life. And you got to know, I fly a lot. Uh, I'm about, to, I'm like 70,000 miles away from being a 2 million miler with Delta. And this past Thursday was the funnest trip. Uh, no hyperbole. I, I get on the plane uh, here in Raleigh and I'm looking around and I'm like, a couple things are different. It flights about 90% chocolate people, which is a good thing. And that's new to me. And, but they're all wearing NCCU stuff. And um, man, they're doing their chants on the flight and... They took the HBCU to the airways, and uh, I was like, what, what are y'all here for? And they're like, well, we're going out to play UCLA. I'm like, yeah, y'all better get it in now. <laughs> you better celebrate now, because it ain't going to look good. So uh, anyways, uh, welcome NCCU people. Uh, good, to, good to see you all. Um, if you've been hanging out with us, we've been walking through the book of James, and um, um, good news, bad news. Good news is I think you are going to leave here today encouraged. Bad news is uh, this is um, this is a very rough passage, and I don't expect any amens on this one because uh, he's going to talk to us about patience. Right, I didn't expect any amens. So pick me up in verse 7. James writes, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. For the precious fruit of the earth being, here's that word again, patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. I think he's trying to make a point. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love this. Underline the first three words of verse 9. It's like he's saying, oh, by the way, while you're waiting, do not grumble. Against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and, here it is again, patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain, synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen, make note of this phrase, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, verse 12, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. God, would you speak to us today? I'm going to make an assumption that that patience for many, dare I say, most of us in this room does not come naturally. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. And I pray, Lord God, for clarity as we just kind of make our way through this text. Pray that your Spirit would meet us. Pray that you'd give us encouragement. Pray for clarity. 
And I pray, Lord God, that you would ultimately change and outfit us to be the kind of people who meet the trials of life in a way that honors and glorifies you, but also through our redemptive patience is a deep encouragement to a watching world. Do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the... um, um, one of the most difficult things that could ever happen to an oyster is to have lodged within the confines of its, um, of its shells a little teeny tiny grain of sand. Now, typically 99.9 times out of 100 when that happens, this oyster is, is, is readily equipped and able to locate the grain of sand, uh, move it, expel it from off its premises, and just keep it pushing. But now there are those very rare occasions where, try as it might, that that oyster just can't get rid of that grain of sand. It's in a situation it can't get out of. It's at this point where, it, um, where this oyster finds itself irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, and every other kind of unsanctified aided. It's at this point, let me quote a 90s urban poet. It's at this point where this oyster feels as if I'm going to lose my mind up in here. (laughs) Oh, y'all got that? I didn't know. (laughs) Up in here. (sighs) It's going crazy. I'm in a situation I don't like. I got this grain of sand. I can't get rid of it. Now, it's at this point where this oyster falls back on one heck of a plan B. It's as if this oyster shrugs its shoulders. Work with me. I know oysters don't have shoulders. And says, if I can't get rid of it, if I can't get out of it, let me make the most of it. So it locates this grain of sand and it begins to coat it over and over and over again with the liquid substance that, that when it solidifies, when it calcifies, when it hardens, our grandmothers pay top dollar for. A pearl. You know, next time you see somebody wearing a pearl, I want you to have this thought. You are wearing someone's bad day. <laughs> Because if there was no irritation, if there was no frustration, if there was no exacerbation, if there was not a sense of I'm about to lose my mind up in here, up in here, there would be no pearl. Downtown Durham, I came by this morning to tell you that God has a call on your life. He wants to lift you up as a pearl of great price. He wants to make you a trophy of his grace. All of us in this room, I don't care if if this is your first time in church. I don't care if you're a church OG like myself who grew up in Sunday schools and flannel boards. If you are made in the image of God, you you are created on purpose and for a purpose. Your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here. By the way, one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you. You was a surprise. (laughs) That just clicked for somebody. (laughs) Oh, but to a sovereign God, there are no surprises. 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10, we are his poema, his workmanship, poema. From that Greek word, we get the English word poem, his work of art. And God says, I want to lift you up as a pearl of great price. Now, if I was in a chocolate church, cue the hymn and B3 organ, we shouting right there. Make me a pearl of great price. That's, that's good stuff. Here's our problem. Warning, an American portion of the sermon. Our problem is, while we want the destination, we want nothing to do with the process. Because there is no such thing as pearls without life's irritating, frustrating, exacerbating grains of sand. Our problem is, we want to get to where we're going quick, fast, and in a hurry. But if you could take a tour of God's kitchen, you will be shocked to discover that in God's kitchen ain't no microwaves, only crockpots. So here's what God says. Hey, Brian, I got a call in your life. I, I want you to get over here. I, I want to get you, Brian, to a place of fall-off-the-bone succulent faith. But you're here. And the only thing, the, the, the worst thing, Brian, I could ever do to you is to give you a blessing that you don't have the character infrastructure to support. So what I got to do, Brian, is to get you here from here, I got to put you in my divine crock pot. I got to put you in a situation you don't like, you can't get out of, I'm going to put the lid on it. Turn up the heat. You're going to get really angry, dare I even say frustrated with, with me, but I am way more after my glory than your comfort. <laughs> and there's going to be moments in that crock pot where you are going to lose your mind up in here, up in here. And you're going to have to learn to be patient because, Brian, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. I want you to be patient. We come now to the book of James. If you're wondering, James is a genre, it's a type of literature in the Bible known as an epistle. If you're wondering what makes James's epistle different from all the other kind of epistles, Bible scholars tell us that while James's epistle, like all the other epistles, is written in Greek, if you were to analyze, compare, and contrast James's original use of the Greek language with all the other original Greek language texts of epistles, what you would discover is James has the highest concentration of imperatives. Now, don't lose me. This is about as technical as this little Sunday school lesson gets. I'm coming to your neighborhood. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to put my feet up on your coffee table. We're going to get real practical. James has the highest concentration of imperatives. Okay, why is that important? What does that mean? An imperative simply means a command. James's love language is commands. 
So, so when we saw the bumper video and we're talking about how James punches you in the gut, yes, he does, because he doesn't mince words. He talks in directives. It's, the, the epistle of James, it's one command after another command after another command. In fact, the whole epistle begins with a command. Count it all joy. Now we come to our text and right out the gate, James begins with another command. He opens up by saying, be patient. He ain't recommending. He ain't suggesting. He ain't giving you tweetable advice to consider. It's as if he's grabbing us by the collar, looking us in the eyes, and he's saying, I know you don't like the situation you're in, but I am commanding you under the authority of our sovereign Lord. Be patient. That phrase, be patient, in, in English, it's actually, it's two words in English, it's actually one word in the Greek. It's a compound word, it's the Greek word makrothumos, makrothumos, makrothumos. Can you say that with me? Makrothumos. The prefix macro, hear it now, it, it, it means long. Thumos, it's from that, that Greek word thumos that we get the English word thermometer. You know, this instrument we use to measure heat. It means anger. <laughs> so literally, macrothumos means to be in a situation where I'm long towards anger. It, it means, it, it means um, my anger is being tested. There's a scholar, one of my favorite scholars, his name is D.A. Carson, and he wrote a wonderful book called Scandalous. And in this book, Scandalous, he, he says this. He says, you know why we, we Christians never, ever, ever, forever, ever, uh, I'm in the 90s right now. The reason why we never pray for patience is because you and I are sophisticated enough to know that embedded for, in the very request for patience lies another request, and that is put me in a situation I don't like. Because we understand you don't learn patience in an air-conditioned, cushioned seat environment. You don't learn patience when the career's going well and the money's flowing in. You don't learn patience when you have a clean bill of health. You don't learn patience when the relationship is going well. <laughs> you don't learn patience in that rare season when the kids are being compliant. Prosperity is a horrible teacher. There's very little that prosperity teaches us. You only learn patience when, ladies, you wake up one day and you feel a lump on your breast. You go to the doctor, they run tests, they take the biopsy, the report is cancer. What follows is maybe surgery, radiation, chemo, months, years, even, crockpot. You only learn patience when you think it's just another start of a, another business week and you go to the office or you go to your home office and you go to that first meeting only to be told that you're being let go. Now you're in a season of unemployment where there's too much money at the end of the month. 
proper. You only learn patience where, uh, well, once again, man, I'm, you're being invited to uh, be a bridesmaid at another wedding, and you got to put on that hideous dress, and you're standing on stage, and I know what you're thinking. She ain't even as cute as me. I want to be careful with that singles because the end zone isn't marriage, and there's a lot of sure, a lot of singles who want to be married. I'll give you some insider secrets and years of counseling. There, while there are a lot of singles who want to be married, there's a lot of married folk who want to be single. Don't say any men, anybody. You only learn patience where, yeah, sure, you weren't a perfect parent, but you're trying the best you can to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, only to realize you've got a rebellious child who's out in the far country, walling out. And you've yelled and you've screamed and you've disciplined and you've cussed and you've fussed and you're going to have to learn to do the best parenting posture there is and that's on your knees. Waiting on God. Some of you are you're in a crockpot of infertility. On and on I could go. Well, thank you, Brian. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like we're, we're in the clouds. I feel like we're 35,000 feet in the air. Okay, I get it. I've been in the crock pot. Maybe I'm in the crock pot right now. I, 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 need, you to, I need you to bring it down several notches. I, I need you to put some shoe leather on this. I, I need you to get way more granular, Brian. I, I need you to tell me exactly what does patience look like? Is it just me kind of passive resignation waiting on God? No, because notice in verse 7, right after saying be patient, uh, James then goes on to to say, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being, here's that word again, patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. James is saying, if you want to know the kind of patience that honors God, look to the farmer. Now, I love this because what we understand about farming is that no farmer goes to his barren field then looks up to God, then back down in his barren field, then up at God and says, God, in the name of Jesus, I command corn. Corn, God, name of Jesus, waiting on you, corn. We know that's not how that works. Instead, what does the farmer do? He goes out and he plows and plows and plows and sows and sows and sows and cultivates and cultivates day in, day out, week in, week out, back-breaking work, sweat pouring down his body. And yet he does all that knowing that unless the Lord sends the rain, my labor is in vain. So that the farmer understands, here it is, that patience is never passive resignation. It is active participation. It is me doing my something, waiting on God to do his something, knowing that when God adds his something to my something, now we got something. Now, let me give you a biblical example of this. This guy in the New Testament, his name is the Apostle Paul. Do you know most of Paul's ministry takes place from his own crockpot called prison? Yes, Paul writes all these epistles, but there's a, a subgenre of epistles known as the prison epistles. 
think about it. Paul gets to prison. He's in a situation he doesn't like, in a situation he doesn't, he can't get out of. And he gets there, and, and one of the first things he does is, hey, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I'm in my crock pot, but there's, there's a group of Christians, a group of churches I want to write and encourage. While in the crock pot, he's writing and writing and writing. And, and here's something else we see. Read these letters he writes from, from jail, his own crock pot. And in each of these letters, he says his own version of, hey, since I've been here, I've been praying for you. Writing and praying and writing and praying. And then to the Philippians, he says, um, uh, thank you for, for thinking about me. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. But, but I want you to know, I'm content since being here, the gospel has advanced throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard were soldiers who would be chained to him on either side. It strikes Paul one day. We're both in a situation we can't get out of. So let me share Jesus with you. And he talks to both of them about Jesus. They rotate off. Two more rotate on. He shares Jesus with them. And he runs out of folk to share Jesus with while in the crock pot, which means this. He ain't throwing a pity party. Now, I want to say this pastorally as kind and as patient as as I can. We're in a therapeutic culture. Much to rejoice in that. Get the therapy. Get it. But there's a shift in Christian culture that I think at times we cross a line. We go through things in life, and I'm hearing way too much insular talk. You can get the therapy while in the crock pot and at the same time ask the question, how can I turn my crock pot into a stage to glorify God and encourage other believers even while I wait in suffering? Thank you. God bless you. I'm taking you on the road with me. <laughs> I um, pastored in Memphis for some years. Uh, I'm a Delta guy. Uh, the problem with Memphis at the time, they weren't a Delta hub, uh, which means if you wanted to go anywhere, you had to go through Atlanta. You've heard me say this again um, before that uh, I'm convinced that the way to hell will have a layover in Atlanta. So... Um, I'm from Atlanta, by the way. God bless him. So here I am. One, one time I had to go to Chicago, which is due north of Memphis, but because I'm a Delta guy, I had to fly south to Atlanta, change planes, and then go north to Chicago. I had to speak at this event, and we get to Atlanta, and there's some mechanical issues with the plane, delayed, delayed, delayed. Finally, we get on the plane, and we're headed out, and I'm looking at my watch going, man, this is going to be really, really tight. Then we get to Chicago's airspace. I'm going, man, we got to hurry up and land the plane because, you know, I got to get this rental car. I got to drive to um, the northern suburbs to speak at this event. And, and God bless our pilot because we get to Chicago's airspace and unsolicited, she just decided to give us an aerial tour of the city of Chicago. <laughs> and we just keep going around and around and around. And I'm getting frustrated. Macrothumos. And I'm saying, land the plane, lady. I got places to be, stuff to do. Well, we know what's going on. She's not doing this for our entertainment. We're in what's called a holding pattern. <laughs> All a holding pattern simply means is, is that there are a group of people who sit in a tower, air traffic control, 
They have access to information we don't have. Uh, they, they, they sit up high and look down low. They see things we don't see. And we're in that holding pattern because if the plane would have landed on my timetable, it would have done irreparable harm and damage. So we just keep going around and around and around. I'm in a situation I don't like. And maybe that's some of you right now, you're in your own holding pattern. Around and around and holding pattern in my marriage and holding pattern in my finances, holding pattern in my career and around and around and around. And what, what stimulates patience is we have to understand that just like those air traffic control go, uh, um, people, we serve a God who sits up high and looks down low, who sees what we don't see, who knows what we don't know, and praise God that he doesn't always operate on our timetable. My grandmama used to say, he may not come when you want him. but he's always on time. Oh, I love this. Verse 9. James says, hey, do me a favor. While you're in your holding pattern, do not grumble. <laughs> now James shifts to our attitude. What James is modeling here for us, what he's telling us, is that patience is never just physical. It's profoundly emotional and attitudinal. In other words, it's not just good enough to say, well, I'm kind of here, if you're grumbling and complaining. Now, remember who James is writing to. He's writing to ethnic Jews who have recently converted to Christianity. And I promise you, when they see the word grumble, they think about their ancestors and the, and the pilgrimage from Egypt to Canaan, which was only supposed to be six weeks. But it turned into a 40-year holding pattern where they kept doing laps around Mount Sinai. Why? Murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. One commentator says the number one job occupation in the wilderness wanderings was that of being an undertaker. <laughs> she did a lot of funerals. I love it. It's like God saying to Israel, hey, Israel, we should have been there by now. We should have been there 39 years and 46 weeks ago. But you turned a six-week journey into a 40-year holding pattern. Why? Your attitude. I wonder if God's saying to some of us this morning, Hey, bro, in my perfect will, we, we should have been turned the page. We should have been in the next chapter. Shoot, we should have been in a different book by now. But your grumbling and complaining has only extended your stay. See, see here, here's what I want you to understand. I, I remember, man, when I was dating, I don't know if I'll share this in the next service. My wife's going to be here. She's heard me say it before. But when I was dating, this, this wasn't my wife. I went up with this girl once. One time. And the whole time she complained. The whole time. Cute girl. And I'm sitting there going, nothing in me is going, ooh, can we do this again? And I think it's the same thing with God. Grumbling and complaining ain't cute. 
That's why I want to encourage some of you seasoned saints here. I think the problem with the church is we have way too many old people. And not enough patriarchs and matriarchs. There's a difference. Patriarchs and matriarchs, let me give you this definition. Because by God's grace, should we live, this is what we want. Patriarchs and matriarchs leverage the odometer of their journey with Jesus to pour into the following generations, pointing them to Jesus for a time they will not see. What this means is, if you are a seasoned saint, you should be holding court at the local diner with just people lined up to get pearls of wisdom from you. But you know what will ruin that? A grumbling, murmuring spirit. Some people just don't want to be around you because the landscaping of your life is off. It's no joy. You find the negative in everything. My, my, my friend John Mark Comer says, he says, Brian, I've got a theory. He says, the older, he says, I think the older we get, we trend in one of two directions, sweet or salty. And he says, it all depends on how we handle suffering. You want a life full of joy? Do not grumble. Doesn't mean you can't cry. But even those tears are tears of joy. As we round third and head for home, James says, Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I've got four minutes and 40 seconds to land the plane, but here's what I want you to see. James is saying, I want you to understand something. God has given you some examples in his word to inspire and instigate patience, God-glorifying patience in your life. They're called the prophets. Now, my youngest son, who just left the house, he's gone on his uh, gap year trip. We cried our eyes out last week when he left. Won't see that joker until May. Um, my youngest son loves basketball. And from the time he was a little guy, uh, he always had these posters um, uh, on his wall of great basketball players. There's um, posters of Michael Jordan. Yes, amen. Train up a child in the way he should go. There's LeBron James posters, parenting fail. There's, there's Steph Curry posters. There's all these Kobe Bryant posters. All, and, and there have been times I would see him look at these posters, and you just kind of see the, the, the wheels turning in his mind, and then he would grab his basketball after looking at those posters and go out to the driveway or the backyard and work on, on his game. Posters are meant to inspire you. James says, lining the wall of your crock pot are posters. Patience posters. They're called the prophets. 
The prophets are God's divine show and tell for his patience with his people. That's why he tells Ezekiel, hey, Ezekiel, my my people are ticking me off right now. They keep jumping in and out of relationship with me. They're faithless. I want to send the message that I'm faithful when they're faithless. I want to show them what theologians call my immutability, my unchangeableness. So I need you to strip down naked, Ezekiel, leave your loincloth on, lay on your left side. How long, God? 390 days. Don't move. Why? Because I want to show my people, I, they, they, they're faithless to me. They move, they jump in and out, but I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you know you're here today because of the patience of God? Do you know what would happen to you if God ever got impatient with you? That's why if you're here today and you don't know Christ, You are here not because of coincidence or your choices. You are here because of the sovereign grace, the common grace of God. But for the grace of God, you could have been that professor at UNC. Your life is a mist. You are breathing right now by his patience. There's Hosea. Hosea, my people keep whoring after other gods. I want to show them my patience. I want you to know, I know you just graduated from Southeastern with the MDiv. You're single. I'm going to fix that. I want you to marry a woman. I got a wife for you. If I'm Hosea, I'm like, who is she? Her name's Gomer. I'm not smiling anymore. I ain't never met a cute Gomer in my life. (laughs) Sorry if your name's Gomer. hate that your mama did that to you. Well, what does she do, God? She's a prostitute. Oh, by the way, chapter 3, when she cheats on you and leaves, go get her. Why? Because my people cheat on me all the time and I go get them. And there's, then there's the number 23 of patience. And no, I ain't talking LeBron's old number. Job. He says, you've seen the steadfastness of Job. You talk about being in a crock pot, covered from head to toe with boils, goes to a funeral with 10 caskets, each casket holding one of his kids. Parents ain't supposed to bury kids. Loses all of his money, his possessions, his wife saying, curse God and die. And yet, what does he say while in the crock pot? I know my redeemer lives. You know why, we, we, you know why God said, put, put the book of Job in the Bible for all time? Because he was patient in the crockpot. You want to leave a legacy? Be patient. And then he ends by saying, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. What a statement. There's a purpose to the cancer. There's a purpose to the rebellious child. There's a purpose to the infertility. There's a purpose to the unemployment. Growing up, my, my mama had an annoying hobby. It's cross stitching. Cross stitching just simply involves taking a um, piece of cloth and weaving threads in and out of it. And I call it annoying because my mama would do this while seated on a sofa 
But as a kid, I'd, I'd watch her do this seated at her feet, which means I'm looking at mama do, doing this from the bottom up. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody cross it from the bottom up. It's ridiculous. Because all you see are dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. And it, it feels as if, um, yeah, I'm down south. Y'all will get this. It felt as if mama's cheese had slid off her cracker. I couldn't say that in California. And I remember one time, the Academy Awards people are here. I, I remember one time. <laughs> I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. <laughs> Mama would do this for hours. And I remember one time going, Mama, 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 I, I don't get how you can do this for hours. All I see are dangling threads. No rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. It's chaotic. And Mama smiled and just patted on the sofa next to her, invited me to come and sit down next to her. And when I sat down next to Mama, I no longer saw it from the bottom up. Now I saw it from top down. And what I saw was beauty and order. There was a pattern. Mama hadn't lost it. <laughs> you know, years later, it would hit me. You know the fundamental problem with life? It's the problem of perspective. We only see things from the bottom up. Dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason, and it feels as if God's cheese has slid off his cracker. But God is inviting us today to sit down next to him. And if we saw things from his perspective, we would say, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. If we could sit down next to him, we'd say with Joseph, who at the end of all of his crockpot tours of duty, could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want to pray. I want to pray. You know, sometimes we hear the word and we go, that's, that's a good word. That's just not where I'm at right now. But other times we hear the word and it's It's what the Bible calls a word in season. It's what my grandmama used to call a right now word. I want to pray for those people who are here right now. And you would say, I'm, I'm in my own crockpot. We're not going to pass the microphone. We're not going to ask you anything. I just want to pray for you. Someone here today, and you're going, I'm in my own crockpot. We, we as a local body of believers, we, we want to pray for you. If you're here today and you're saying, yeah, that's a right now word for me, Pastor. I'm in my own crockpot. I'm in a health crockpot or a financial crockpot, a relational crockpot, whatever it may be. Would you just stand to your feet if you're saying, that's a right now word for me. That's, I'm in, yes, I see you. I see you. I'm, I'm in my own crockpot. 
I want to pray. Prayer is not a spectator sport. It's a team sport. So if there's someone standing next to you, you're seated. I want you to have the freedom right now. You can stand with them. You can stretch a hand towards them. But let us all pray for our brothers and sisters who are standing right now. Who are saying, I'm in a crock pot. All over this place, we're praying. We're praying for them. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. Let's, let's pray right now. So, Father, we bless you in this place. And I pray several things as we round out our service. Sometimes when I find myself in my own crockpot, it's, it's easy for me to give in to demonic voices. Voices like, God has forgotten. God God doesn't see me. Lord God, we counteract those voices with the voice of Scripture. Psalm 8, David would say, what is man that you are mindful of him? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6 that, that not a single bird falls to the ground and you don't know about it. How much more valuable are we? You, you know when Israel was in its crockpot in Egypt all those years, you showed up to Moses and you told Moses, I've seen their, 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 their journey. I've heard their cries. I know. And so, God, we, we just begin by acknowledging the truth and counteracting the demonic voices. God, you see us. God, you know. But I love this, Lord God. Not only do you see and do you know, but secondly, God, you actually care. David, again, in Psalm 8 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And here's what I love, or the son of man that you care. God, we declare that over ourselves. You, you care. You care. In fact, could you just declare that over yourself right now? Would you just say, God cares? God, you care. So, Father, God, I, I, I end this by quoting, not a prosperity preacher. I end this by quoting our Lord Jesus Christ, who said this in Matthew 7. While we're in our crockpot, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So here's what I'm praying. Lord God, for whatever it is my brothers and sisters are going th through, I'm just quoting Jesus. God, get rid of the cancer. God, heal the body. God, open up the barren womb. God, return the wayward child. God, give the new job. God, replenish the finances. God, breathe life into those dry bones. But in the meantime, in between time, while we are in the crock pot, we declare we will be patient in Jesus name.